All right. Should we get started again? Yeah. Let's do it. Jared, you had a question, buddy. Oh, yeah. I, I forget, but I have I did have another question <laughs> for, for Joe. I was wondering if you started um, your artistic passion while you're in recovery or if how that all started. Uh, long before, I always liked to draw, uh, paint, do anything artistic. Um, when I, before I was in school, it was a, a really big outlet for me um, when, I, when I was in that time of my life that was like really isolated as a child. Um, so I kind of carried that into, into my teen years. I got into graffiti. Um, I did a lot of street art. Um, and then that carried into tattooing. I, I started seeing people uh, around the graffiti scene with more tattoos uh, and got intrigued by, by that culture. Um, and I started tattooing quite young, actually. I was 15 when I started tattooing. I didn't work professionally as a tattoo artist until I was uh, uh, in recovery. Um, and then as soon as I started working professionally, um, I very quickly knew that it was like what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I know it, in Kingston, you're a big name for tattooing. Everyone loves you. Yeah, that's where <laughs> yeah, I got, got my start. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have a question, Joe, and it's one of my favorite questions to ask people. Um, you mentioned you have a son. So um, I had a daughter this year and planning like how I want to like approach talking to her about addiction and my personal uh, recovery. Uh, I love asking guests how they communicate that with their children. So is this something you've been able to have a discussion with or how do you plan on approaching it? That's a really good question. And we talk about it often. So he's around all the time when we're openly talking about it between ourselves or with other people. Um, we go to the online meetings uh, and he's often kind of in the background listening to uh, the other people sharing and, and talking and us sharing and talking. So he's somewhat familiar with, I at least <laughs> like the, the words uh, around addiction and recovery. Um, I have talked to him specifically about it a couple times and it's been at varying stages of his life um, in varying ways, just so obviously he kind of understands it um, differently. But, and, and each time I've been fairly honest without going into specific details. Um, he'll ask, for example, about like beer or wine, or he'll see other, other uh, parents of his friends drinking alcohol and stuff. And, and he knows that we don't. And we have, we've said explicitly that the reason why we don't is because we had a problem with it in the past and it, it caused a lot of uh, struggle and hardship in our lives. Um, and that's, that's why we personally don't uh, drink. We, we haven't really talked too much about drugs yet. He's eight, um, but I'm sure that conversation will, will, will come up as well. And, and we talk a lot also, Chris and I, about how we're going to deal with uh, like him wanting to experiment as a teenager and, and wanting to kind of just see what, what alcohol is all about. I know um, my parents were quite 
strict and restrictive. And I definitely think that that fueled my uh, like intense need to like try absolutely everything under the sun. So I think considering that we've had these like conversations and he's already around the world of recovery a little bit, um, we don't want to enforce any like hard and fast rules about him following that same path. He's got to figure it out on his own. But if he were to ever get into a situation where he starts to realize that he might have a problem or, you know, he's relying a bit too much on it. Um, unlike myself, he's going to have grown up around people talking about addiction and talking about resiliency and um, the like positive life that comes after uh, active addiction. Um, and that was one of the big barriers before I was able to to seek effective recovery was just not knowing how to talk about it who to talk about it with not knowing that there was anyone out there so um we try to make it really uh like open and easy for him to be a part of those conversations with us nothing's hush hush nothing's um kind of off limits if he has any questions we talk about it and answer it um we just kind of take it day by day with what his specific uh like needs are i guess i think the the important thing there is that he knows what goes on in a meeting so he's listening to us in meetings he's been to in-person meetings before for celebrations and that sort of thing so if and when it becomes um a place that he might need to go to himself it's not going to be unfamiliar territory it'll be a comfortable place where he knows he's accepted and he knows it's like like we want it to be part of the conversation always that you know these places exist for exactly this reason and there's no shame around going to a meeting identifying as an alcoholic or an addict um changing yourself like we want to always um encourage all of those um those those the pluses of recovery and normalize the idea of like seeking help, getting treatment, doing, you know, regular meetings and having, you know, our daily practice um, that allows us to live the life that we can live with him today. Awesome, guys. Thanks for sharing that. Mm -hmm. uh, speaking on normalizing, with social media nowadays, everything's normalized. Drugs, partying, sex, alcohol, what you look like. <clears throat> How do you think? um you can kind of make people see that that shouldn't be normalized as much as it is like using and drinking shouldn't be yeah. normalized um i i don't know that um it shouldn't be normalized because i think that there's always going to be people who who do it and it's always going to be a part of people's lives but it's, it affects different people differently. Like, you know, it, it might, the people who are able to kind of casually enjoy drugs and alcohol, that might be, that being normal to them is okay. It's just that yeah. what, what you don't see so many people being um, vulnerable and open about, I mean, I guess you do see more people being vulnerable and open about it now, but, um, is is when it goes too far and and when the casual and normal um becomes a problem i think it's 
not great that as a society people rely on substances or anything like gambling sex shopping relationships all that stuff for um pleasure but it's it's a, a huge part of life it's like everywhere you look and if you don't have an experience of going overboard with it it's it's often um tricky to to find where that that line would be um what do you think Chris? i can speak on that okay. like for as far as social media goes um for myself i think that uh, the thought that goes through my head every time i post something or every time i'm like composing something that i want to post is the attraction rather than promotion kind of motto um and i think that if you know i'm not online telling people they have to get sober they have to live the way i live but all i can do is share my story openly and honestly tell people how bad it got tell people what i did and tell people how good it is today and what i still do today um you know people are always going to be trying to normalize outrageous behavior or substances or whatever like that but you know i think the discussion around recovery just has to be louder and there has to be more people opening up and saying you know what i'm not this doesn't have to be an, an anonymous thing i can talk about this because if i share with others there's a good chance that somebody's going to grab a piece of what i've written or said and maybe give them that little piece of hope that they're looking for to change their life and i think that's what social media should be used for like i get it teenagers want to be seen out at certain places with certain people partying doing certain things but you know as life goes on that that narrative might change for them and then at that point i think it's their responsibility to say what i was posting 5 years ago isn't me anymore and this is how bad it got this is this is what i've done to change or this is or or even to reach out for help like social media can be used like joe and i get messages all the time from people saying like you know we appreciate what you guys share online um i think i might have a problem myself or how did you overcome this thing or my son or my daughter or my boyfriend girlfriend whatever is is you know i think that they have a problem how do i approach that so um i think just keeping uh keeping in that service mindset when um like us as people in recovery are online is the most important thing that we can do to sort of change that narrative love it i had a question for you guys on uh the relationship stuff i guess so maybe <laughs> Maybe one of you could get into uh, the benefits and one can maybe get into uh, challenges sometimes of, you know, the two of you both being in recovery, having a partner that's also, you know, in recovery. I'm sure there's a lot of benefits uh, to that. And then uh, maybe speak on a couple of challenges if there are any. I mean, the benefits far outweigh any challenges. I, I would start by saying that. Um, I can't think of any actual challenges uh, offhand other than like, I don't know. I don't think that there is any. Like, I mean, it's it 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 it's it fosters uh, an atmosphere of like openness and honestness or honesty and and vulnerability where I can say things to her. I have basically I have a meeting at my you know at at in the next room at all times when I'm at home, you know, this is a one addict talking to another or one addict in recovery, talking to another addict in recovery, which is a meeting. So, I mean, I can talk about how I feel 
you know, what I'm, what I'm unhappy about with myself that like, we can just share about this stuff and we don't have to go into great detail. And we also don't have to solve each other's problems. We, we can, we know that like, we're just here to support and we're just here to, um, you know, to relate to each other and to, to, you know, support each other through, through whatever kind of hardships or adversity that may come our way. And I will say that might be the one challenge because I like to be a fixer. So when she's going through something, I'm like, well, you just have to do this, 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 and this, and it'll be fine. Like, <laughs> how do you not see that? But yeah, if she, like, Stop, just give me a hug. she just wants a hug. And I don't, <laughs> I don't realize that. Cause I think, Oh no, like this is how, you know, it's like, um, it's not a sponsor sponsee type relationship. It's a, it's a, you know, it's just a, a symbiotic you know, honest relationship that way. And, and sometimes I, I kind of blur that line a little bit where I think, well, she's telling me a problem. She's obviously looking for an answer, but really, you know, I have to, that's been my challenge along the way, at least I have to identify that I'm not here to solve a problem. I'm here to support and love. And, you know, like, like she said, like, that's what she wants. She wants a hug. She doesn't want an explanation and she doesn't want, you know, a whole, you know, plan of action yeah and you can talk about what's wrong with me if you want <laughs> yeah any challenges we face are challenges that anybody would face in a relationship and they they definitely aren't drawbacks that are related to to being in recovery but because we're both in recovery i think we're more well equipped to handle those issues like um just speaking on myself in previous relationships, when I wasn't in recovery, I was super reactive. Um, I, I like was very dependent on the other person's like emotions and well-beings during the whole entire relationship. I, I didn't think for myself. I, I prioritized the wrong things. And in recovery, it puts so much emphasis on um, prioritizing your your own well-being uh that it puts us both in a really good spot to be able to support the other person and we we both had fairly serious moments um in our lives while we've been together where we've gone through certain things um we both had uh uh diagnoses of um ptsd while we while we were together are together and um going through that each person had months sometimes that were extremely challenging um on an individual level and when when there's two people that are in, are in recovery the ideal situation is that if one of them is struggling the other one can be the support and then when the roles reverse the other person is able to to um, take the reins in terms of being that support person uh, when the other person's having uh, their their issues um, and stuff like that. So there's struggles, like everyone has those struggles, but uh, recovery has kind of made us, it made it be a bit easier for us to like speak the same language and have the other person um, understand what what you need or be able to communicate a bit better and also be able to personally understand possibly some of the emotions or feelings that the other person might be going through. Yeah. And, and I think another thing about that is that like, we, 
kind of have had to learn how to like not take things personally when it when it gets bad for one person individually um because like for myself I had to go I, I was 10 months or rather 10 years sober and I had to go back to treatment um now for PTSD um my work you know I was off work and and was sent out to BC to do uh 12-week treatment um inpatient treatment uh plan and um you know Joe didn't think twice like m most people yeah I I I I had I like left for three months and she was you know, still working full time, keeping the house the way we normally would share, um, and then full time mother duties. Like you know, we his our our son's birth father isn't in the area, so it's not a 50-50 thing or anything. We're we're it for him. So, you know, I was able to go and get my three months of treatment without having to worry about is my wife going to be resentful of me is she going to be you know upset that you know I left her with all these responsibilities that I normally share with her but you know I know that and I was confident that you know she understands the benefit of treatment and she made it very easy for me to to be away and I know it was difficult for her um so like just that that give and take where and you know you didn't go to treatment or anything but there's been months that you know, have been, have been tough. And I, I, you know, I've tried to kind of take on more of the responsibilities and give Joe that space um, to heal or to go through what she needs to go through. So I think the understanding about that stuff and the importance of our, of our individual mental health has been really, really beneficial uh, in recovery. I, I don't think the, uh, not too many couples that don't have, not too many couples out of recovery or that haven't gone through something fairly serious in their life and overcome some sort of adversity um, could have the same understanding. And like Joe said, we speak the same language, basically. I think it's yeah. important to note as well that um, this is more recovery related and less um, relationship related, but it kind of makes sense. Um, there's still like, even though recovery is, is by far, um, you know, such a better way of living than inactive addiction it there's still like these emotional and mental struggles that you have to get through and work through and experience all the time and there's for sure moments of of like joy and happiness and fulfillment um and like a sense of community with uh, other people in recovery and even people who aren't that you're just able to relate to better because you are present but I'm sure you guys all know like it's not a walk in the park like it's every day you're making a choice that um that supports hopefully sports your recovery but but we're all human and and it's not just this like constant upwards trajectory there's days that are brutal to get through like um you know you you have a lot of or at least both of us have a lot of um emotions to sift through on a regular basis um and I'm grateful to be able to sift through them instead of just like suppressing them or escaping in some way but with that comes some rough patches from time to time um 
And if I was going through those rough patches with someone who couldn't relate or wasn't in recovery, I'm sure I would be met with a lot more conflict. And like Chris mentioned, um, we've both learned to not take that personally when one or both of us is going through something. And um, because we don't take it personally, it doesn't turn into an argument that lasts for days or weeks or months. It's just, it's usually quite, quite a quick turnaround where the other person's able to process what they're going through um, with or without the other person's help, um, but always with the other person's support. And that's, that's a massive benefit. Do you guys ever find like when you have those really bad days or rough patches, when you get through that, it feels so good. And then you're kind of thinking, I'd rather have these terrible days than the next 30 years of the life I used to live kind of thing. Yeah. A hundred percent. Like what is the saying? Like it, uh, the worst day in recovery is better than the best day in active addiction. Right. Um, yeah. I, I haven't got what uh, did uh, I mess it up? No, no, no. You said the right thing. <laughs> <laughs> I just had something else to say after. Yeah. I mean, personally, like I, I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine living a life any differently than this anymore i mean it's it just i i I spoke about it with a friend um earlier today it's like you know i'm i'm getting older and i'm like i'm a bit cranky if i don't get eight hours of sleep and like my right amount of coffee in the morning um and like i could and and that that can mess my whole day up i couldn't imagine trying to navigate a day at like 44 years old with a like a hangover and being like severely depressed from partying for days on end with no sleep like it just there's no way I could I couldn't fathom I couldn't fathom the life anymore and it what I was going to say is that it really puts things in perspective because I'll be having like a total breakdown about the fact that I have like the house is messy and I've got like so much things to do which are all amazing things and then I think back to like 12 years ago and I was like you know had a needle in my arm and craft dinner in like a motel fridge and like no money to my name and wasn't freaking out that badly (laughs) I still somehow was tricking myself that life was okay (laughs) so (laughs) it's like you gotta just like think back and put things in perspective because um yeah like yes, it's, it's so easy to get caught up in all those little things that, that can be hard. And anyone who, um, has like children also knows like the stressors that kind of come along with just raising someone, uh, another human. And it just, it helps so much to have such a drastic, um, like perspective of things, uh, to, to make myself feel better about the situation that we're in today. Yeah. I like that. Cause you can be like, Oh my kids screaming or whatever you're you're getting all stressed out then you can be like well look what I was doing 10 years ago this is way better so Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah Yeah. for sure (laughs) for me too it's like I I get you know it was an adjustment like I'm a stepfather and it was an adjustment I was by myself before then and you know I have these moments of like oh my god there's too much going on in the house everything's a mess the kid's screaming he's freaking out he's on a screen too much 
Joe's not having a good day, whatever. And then like, I can actually bring myself back and go, okay, I have a roof over my head. I have somebody who loves me. I get to, you know, have a part in raising a child and, you know, and I don't have to go and search for an escape from that. That's actually what, that's what I, that's what I was craving. That's the, the inclusiveness and the um, acceptance that I was craving my whole life. So what do I have to complain about? Joe, you mentioned Chris took you to, say, your first meeting. Um, is that something you guys have continued to do together? Or are you still taking part in meetings in this far in your recovery? Um, we didn't uh, continue to go to um, AA meetings regularly. We had a, a long-distance relationship for a couple of years, and then we moved in, or I shifted to St. Catharines, where Chris has lived uh, in uh, 2020, early 2020. Um, and right after that was when COVID kind of started to take over. So we were housebound for uh, a lot of that first stretch of our um, time, like living together full time. So uh, around that time, we, uh, Chris actually uh, found this program called Refuge Recovery. Maybe you can talk a bit more about Refuge Recovery uh, in a second. I guess we, we started uh, attending those meetings online and eventually started um, one ourselves uh and so we've we've shifted a little bit more in in that direction yeah for me i mean i i like joe was saying before like our early days in recovery qu were quite a bit different like i dove head first into um 12 step meetings and you know and those meetings saved my life uh the fellowship that i had in those meetings were like second to none for a lot of years um and then things started to get weird for me around the rooms. Um, I don't know if you guys can relate to like 12 step meetings in small towns. It gets a little incestuous and like high school ish. And there's a <laughs> lot of like a lot of chatter for no reason. And I really felt like in my area, at least the meetings were they were they were more about like you know, people gossiping and people talking and people trying to like meet up and, and hook up at, at the meeting rather than like getting into the work. I didn't see many people doing like sponsoring people anymore. I wasn't sponsoring as many people as I had been in the past. Um, and then I, I, and, and I had a, a very, very strange thing happen. Like one of my ex sponsors, like started to spread all sorts of like awful stuff about me that was very untrue. Um, so I kind of stepped back from the 12 step rooms and that gave me kind of space to um, to seek out other uh, venues for for recovery. And, you know, I, I looked at smart meetings I looked at, like I did. a I, I tested kind of like I went to different meetings um, in different cities or online or whatever. Um, but then when I found this refuge recovery, I had always heard about it. It just. I, I read this guy's book, uh, Noah Levine. He's the guy who kind of started the program. And um, I read his book and I loved his story. I could really relate to a lot of it. He was an old like punk rock kid. Um, and, and that's what I was into. And, and, you know, he got, he got really fucked up early in life. Then he got sober uh, in jail. Uh, his dad was a meditation, like a, like a very, uh, like a, a Buddhist. And I believe he's a meditation teacher and he encouraged Noah to start meditating in, in jail. And then he got out, stayed sober, kept meditating. And he kind of married the two, uh, like the Buddhist set of uh, principles and beliefs with like a 12 step 
like structure. So, um, and came up with this refuge recovery, which is like been, uh, honestly for us, it's, it's been exactly what we needed. Um, you know, the meetings are, are fantastic. The people that come out to the meetings are great. We've met a lot of fantastic people. Um, it's very like, um, meditation, mindfulness heavy, um, you know, there is a set of inventories that you do with a mentor. So a mentor would be like what a sponsor would be in a 12 step meeting. Um, uh, there's a lot of the structure is a lot, a lot uh, is aligned with a 12 step meeting. But there's a lot of the stuff that I didn't <clears throat> that didn't sit right with me about 12 step meetings that that got right with refuge for me. And that's not to say anything bad about 12 step meetings, because as I said, those meetings saved my life and those people saved my life. Um, it, had it not been for those meetings, I truly don't think I'd be here today. So um, massive credit to those meetings and to the people that are keeping the 12 step rooms open. But for us, this is just the the direction we wanted to go. And um, it's, it's been, it's been great as a great addition to our life. And having this uh, regular Wednesday meeting that we put on has been great too, because it gives us some accountability, you know, it keeps us, connected to the group and the program um, we get to meet amazing people it's an online meeting so you know there's people logging in from all over the world so um, we see a lot of familiar faces but you know a lot of new faces all the time too and a lot of people are coming over from 12-step meetings to 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 do refuge as well and I will still go to a 12-step meeting here and there like I'll log on to, to one online I don't necessarily go to the local meetings um but if I'm away and I and I need a meeting, like I know there's a meeting in any any city that I'm in, so um, yeah, I don't discount anything of it. Um, but for us, yeah, the the refuge meetings have been uh, what's what's sat well with us. And just to clarify for anyone that wants to check it out, because uh, I know I you know I'm not that sharp, but I was a little confused <laughs> when I when I was on there and just seeing like all the online meetings and then seeing like the different countries and areas and. You can go to whichever, whatever you want and whatever the, the title is of uh, the meeting, right? You can kind of start wherever. Yeah, you can start wherever. I mean, we would suggest probably buying the book um, and, uh, you know, you can get that through the website or through Amazon or whatever if you need it quicker. And then um, uh, refugerecovery.org. And uh, if you go to the meeting section, it'll tell you, you can choose online meetings and it'll tell you all the meetings all over the world. And uh, the only thing you got to pay attention to is the time zones. A lot of the meetings are out on the West coast because um, the program was kind of born in, um, in California. Uh, so there's a lot more meetings on the West coast than out this way. Um, so you just have to marry up the time zones to, to what, what would work for your area. And um, yeah, they're great. They're great. Like it's, it's, I would suggest, I would suggest anybody who's in recovery or thinking about recovery to, to log on there and, um, and check it out. And the nice thing about the online meetings is you don't have to turn your camera on. You don't have to turn your microphone on. You can be an observer. Uh, all are welcome. It's not, uh, there's not a, a qualification to come, to come to a meeting. So it's not a drug specific meeting or an alcohol specific meeting. It's a, a very inclusive meeting. Is your meeting open to anyone? Yeah, Wednesday night, 6 p.m. Eastern time. Awesome. Guys, um, my last question for you, I, that's not true. Um, I do have a question on day-to-day. -day, what do you guys do like recovery-wise on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it be journaling, meditating, uh, working out? What, is, uh, what does it look for, like for you guys? 
It, it, it changes slightly depending on what we have going on. Uh, but some constants uh, are the meetings. We really put focus on those. Um, reading or listening to audiobooks of, of some kind. Um, trying to ingest other people's stories of recovery uh, and stay connected to um, other people in, in the recovery community. And then uh, for myself, paying attention to uh, things on the physical side of, of um, life. So like movement, exercise, uh, we both train Muay Thai, uh, I train MMA as well. And um, I've really incorporated that, that movement into um, a big part of my, my recovery, um, as well as paying a lot of attention to um, like eating habits and, and, and physical health. Uh, we, we've noticed, or I've noticed specifically over the last couple of years, um, like a, a really direct parallel to uh, the effects of the childhood trauma kind of coming out through like physical symptoms. Um, and there were things that I, I thought I had addressed um, that uh, came to light because I was having these like physical symptoms kind of come into play, like panic attacks, digestive issues, that sort of stuff. So on a, on a day-to-day basis, um, making sure that I'm nourishing myself properly with food, the right like external content, whether it be like uh, listening to some someone or uh, reading something or going to a meeting and also having some sort of matching like external output um, if I'm like talking to someone or incorporating that uh, martial arts training uh, into my day. Um, that's, I try to find a balance of those things. Yeah, as well. I mean, we, we do, so we mentor people as well in the program. And so we have, I mean, myself, at least I, I speak with my mentor at least two or three times a week. Um, so I stay connected that way. Um, we have, um, and I have, we both have people that we work with as mentors. Um, so that's, you know, obviously good for our, our recovery as well. Um, and yeah, I think like the, the exercise thing is huge for us. Meditation is huge, you know, practicing like mindfulness in anything we're doing, especially when it comes to like, you know, putting our phones away when we're playing with the kid or like, you know, I, I, I can, you know, I can go fishing with my stepson and like make that a mindfulness practice or I can, you know, and normally it gets away from me and I get stuck by a hook or something and I start swearing, but like, I can bring it back to my breath at some point. Okay. Okay. This, this is it's practice, right? Like I have to learn that I don't know a thing about fishing and this kid wants to go fishing. So I gotta, I gotta like mindfully navigate through this thing with him and it becomes a practice rather than just like a task and I think the stuff like that to carry through your whole day and to know that like when things do get tough when things feel overwhelming you know I can come back to my breath I can meditate I can reach out and call somebody um, all those things are at my fingertips or you know I can just flip on an audiobook or um, you know I, I can if I'm driving, I can listen to the refuge recovery book on audiobook and just be listening instead of listening to music. I listen to something that's good for me. That's kind of feeding my soul and feeding my like emotional needs that way. And, 
it helps bring me down or I can listen to, I mean, not necessarily when I'm driving, I won't listen to a meditation, but, um, <laughs> but I mean, simple things like that. Or for me, you know, I, Joe jo said we do like boxing and, and Muay Thai. She does MMA, but like little things, like if I'm having a bad day, I love doing burpees. It's like my, like, I don't know if it's my little, form of self-harm but um it's it's like to me that's like the most challenging thing that I can do and when I'm having a tough day and things are getting really overwhelming I'll do 100 burpees and like be listening to music while I'm doing it and something so simple like that it turns meditative even though it's very taxing and very difficult but it's like I'm 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 getting I'm I'm exercising some of the emotions out and it gives me time to like focus in on like one thing just bring me to the present because all I'm worried about is getting through that and for me just a simple act like that it it doesn't allow me to stress about the past or the future it keeps me in the present and simple things like and I can do that wherever I go I can I mean I might look like an idiot doing burpees if I'm on my way into, into a wedding or something but <laughs> if I need it I can do it it's there with me at all times same with meditation um yeah, those are uh, just like little things. And and of course, all the regular, I mean, the stuff that Joe said, of course, too. I find it funny how uh take for granted a long time, like sleep and water and how much that just simple things like that can help you throughout a day too, right? I find, I'm like, I don't know. It's, Big uh, time. Throws, throws me off pretty easily with a little bit of lack of sleep. Yeah, it's crazy to think about how, like I kind of mentioned before, how we, we lived before, you know, with, with no sleep and, you know, the only liquid that we were ingesting was like in the form of alcohol. So just living this totally like mindless, dehydrated, like sleep de deprived lifestyle. And now it's like, if I don't drink, like you've seen me a couple of times drink this giant jug of water. It's like, if I don't drink six liters of water in a day, I'm like, I, I wake up in the middle of the night, like I need to drink something that wouldn't have, I wouldn't drink six liters of water over six months in active addiction. <laughs> Yeah, the sleep thing is huge. Everything changes if if you don't get a good night's sleep. We've been trying to focus more on that as well, um, just because we notice how how big a, a change it makes, um, and that it all feeds into the other aspects, like being well exercised and fed helps with the sleep. Being outside helps with the sleep. Um, being off the screens helps with the sleep. Being more connected and in the present moment helps us like fall asleep faster and it yeah it just like kind of all 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 of these um I guess like pillars of recovery just really all kind of plug into each other at some point I have one quick question before we maybe let you guys get going and it's just just a it's just a quick one for Joe you guys are talking about Muay Thai and now you're talking about MMA have you fallen in love with uh, more like jujitsu now or uh, you love, uh, you, you just love all uh, different aspects? I love all of it. Um, Muay Thai, I, I've been doing Muay Thai, I think since, uh, I think it was like around 2016 when I started training Muay Thai. Um, it's definitely my first love in terms of martial arts. Um, I had tried a jujitsu class when I first started getting into the Muay Thai and it was just too much for me to, to, um, understand and I decided to focus on on the Muay Thai and it was definitely like uh, I wouldn't be exaggerating if I say it, it like had a part in helping me um, save my life and so 
when gyms were locked down with um, the first waves of COVID, um, uh, I had a friend and uh, ex MMA fighter who was doing some some private training with Chris and I, and he uh, also has a lot of experience with uh, jujitsu and grappling. Um, and I was just looking to try something new. There was no fights on the horizon because everything was locked down. So I felt comfortable stepping away from Muay Thai a bit. And I definitely fell in love with the, the ground game um, where I train right now at uh, Niagara Top Team. There's a heavy wrestling and jujitsu focus um, as well as the, the striking, of course. Um, and it's it's been uh, very very addictive and fulfilling to like learn um all that there is to to like um to understand with like the added element of the the ground game um because it just takes it changes everything it it adds uh so much more to the arsenal uh when it comes to to fighting so it's been super super fun to start to learn that and i i definitely do do love it um but I would say striking is is my comfort zone. Who wins on the ground between you two? Does Chris muscle his way through it, or <laughs> he? Not, probably not. I don't. <laughs> I don't grapple one bit. I'm like I have no interest of in, in like with anything on the ground. I'm like if I can punch, kick, knee, and elbow things, that's uh, that's my happy place. And he would beat me up. But, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't let her take you to the ground, probably. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean she's really good. I watched her um, at a jujitsu tournament that she won, and um, I watched her train with like super high level like UFC fighters and and very very like skilled technical people. And and I, I they're friends of mine as well, and they always give me the feedback that like I can't believe she's only been training for like a year or whatever it's been now. They're, they're like she's a natural. It used to piss me off, actually. Every time I used to go to like any gym, it's like, oh my god, your girl, she's a natural, she's a beast, she's this and she's that. And I'm like, well, what about me? Like, I was like, and I'm like, yeah, you're okay, but like your girl, she's. Chris, I have one more question for you. Um, sure. We did you ever reach out to Terry and uh, kind of say thank you for planting that seed back in the day? Yeah. So um, he ended up uh, okay. So I was getting tattooed by his son um, for a bunch of years and I knew it was his son and we just kind of had never talked um, because because I was at that time still in active addiction. Then when I did get sober, I started to talk about it with his son and he's like, oh my God, this is amazing. My dad would be so proud of you. And he had moved out to Nova Scotia. He had retired and moved. Um, and I, uh, I was like, well, tell him I said hi, like update him if you want and whatever. And then... Um, I just kind of had forgotten about it. And, you know, I, I hadn't caught, I hadn't like been in touch with him at all. And uh, one day I booked a tattoo appointment and I showed up at the shop and I walk in and Terry's standing there and he's like, just like, like open arms, like come here, give me a, and he's just like bear hugged me. He's like, I am so proud of you. I've never, I've never stopped thinking about you. I can't believe that you finally made the decision. And he's like, he's like, what are we do? like, what are you doing right now after the tattoo? Let's go get a coffee. And, you know, he let me do what he did for me. And I told him my whole story and where I was at the time. And um, so funny thing, and I was working a, you know, a schedule that I had a lot of time off. I worked for the fire department. Right. And um, he said, what are you doing tomorrow? And I said, nothing. I'm, I'm off for like the next five days. 
And he goes, okay, I'll pick you up at 5 a.m. You're coming out to Nova Scotia with me. And I was like, do I, what do you mean I'm coming? He's like, no, <laughs> you don't have a choice. You're coming. It'll be you, me, and the dog in the pickup truck. And I'm like, okay, sure. And so I packed a bag. Um, and like, this is probably like three or four months into recovery. So I was like still fresh, still kind of like, you know, I was right into it and he would say things to me. So he picked me up and you know, whatever that is like a 20 hour drive. It was like recovery talk for 20 hours with the guy who had showed me the rooms for the first time, who, like I said, I, I, I credit him with my life because he, he opened the door to recovery for me and he made it possible for me to walk through that door uh, for the first time. And he would say things to me, to me, like, I've never, you know, like you were so full of shit before you'd lie to me all the time. He's like, I'm so happy to hear you talk like that. And he doesn't like pull punches. He's like a very um, to the point guy. And he's like, you know, I knew, I knew every time you were, you know, every time your lips were moving, you were just full of shit. You were lying. You were this. And he was like, you're the typical AA kid. And, you know, like popping in and dipping out and all this stuff. And, and he's like, but I've never, I've never seen you like this. And this makes me so happy. So he brought me out there. I stayed out on the East coast for like three days with him and his wife. Um, he brought me to a meeting out there and, um, on the way to the meeting, he goes, um, it's a speaker meeting. So have you been to one? And I was like, yeah, I like speaker meetings. They're good. And he's like, okay, cool. And then like, uh, he, he pulls up and we walk in and, um, I start shaking some hands and he goes, Oh, by the way, you're the speaker. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, so he, and that's just like him, right? He would, he, he threw me to the wolves and just said like, Hey, I'd never spoke from the podium before. And it was like, you know, his home group in Nova Scotia. And he was like, you know, proud to have me there. And he just said, like, the kid's speaking, I don't care who is supposed to speak, he's speaking. And um, it was awesome. It was amazing. Like they, uh, they made it so nice for me. Anyways, um, that was a like a beautiful connection with him and his wife and his whole family are just like fantastic people that, um, you know, unfortunately, Terry passed away uh, about five years ago. And, um, you know, I always, I always keep him close to my heart because as I said, a number of times, like that guy, that guy did for me what nobody was willing to do at the time. And, you know, he, he offered his hand when things were, you know, the very worst that they could be for me. And he, he saw, and he, and he truly did that attraction, not promotion. He didn't tell me I had to go to do anything. He said, if, and when you're ready, I can help you. And he let me come to him. So yeah, I love the guy. I love him. Like, you know, he, he, he saved my life. And that was awesome. Thanks. Um, I actually got one more thing. I keep saying, that. <laughs> but uh, sorry. Um, I seen you're launching your own podcast and yeah. listeners want to tune in. Can you give us a little bit about it? And, uh, and kind of talk about that a bit, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the this is the backdrop behind us here. Uh, it's called the Authentic Adversity Podcast. I don't know if you can see we're gonna move Sweet. it at the same time. It's uh, that's Joe, sick. <laughs> yeah, Joe designed it. Um, this is a benefit to marrying a tattoo artist. You know? <laughs> so I I wanted to start a podcast um, because you know I've over the you know eleven and a half years I have in in recovery I've met some very remarkable people with some wild stories and they've become very near dear friends to me um so anywhere from like authors to fighters to firefighters uh tattoo artists um 
like business people all like just I, there's a, a musicians just a whole gamut of really interesting wild stories that i believe kind of the world needs to hear and um you know i just i can't, kind of came to me as we were in austin texas and we were talking to a friend of ours that uh has a a really great story that is going to be one of my first guests and um I said, like, man, your story is so powerful. Like, it just, you got to get this out there. And he's like, I know, I just don't know how. And I just got thinking about it. I thought, well, why don't I just try to do this? I've got so many friends that have very inspiring stories about overcoming adversities in life and, you know, changing things up and living in their, in their truth, I guess. Um, so that's what I want to highlight. I want to basically do, um, you know, stories, real genuine honest stories from the heart um i want people to talk about the emotions that are attached to the things i don't care necessarily like yeah this the things that happened were crazy and wild but i want to know how did that feel i want to know the gritty details about like what was going on in your mind what was your emotional state what was your you know your mindset back then what were you telling yourself like the stuff that i believe people need to hear about um and so my hope with the podcast is that you know, simply it's, it's an act of service that I hope somebody can hear something that they can relate to and that it can give them a little piece of hope that if somebody can change the way, you know, my guests will tell their stories, that that possibility is, is in it, is, is there for all of us. And that, you know, that I just want to kind of spread a message of hope that way. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you guys so much for joining us today. Hey, um, we're very happy you took the time of your day to join us. And uh, guys, you got any more questions? I I feel like we could go for a couple more hours, but uh, maybe cut it maybe cut it off now. I guess yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much for having us. This was really fun, and uh, it's it's great to meet you guys. Yeah, it was great to yeah. meet you guys as well. And we wish you all the best. Tune in, check out Chris's podcast. Guys, if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction, please reach out and ask for help. Um, thanks for listening.